be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I had a, a 10 sermon sermon last week, so we stopped on the first point. And uh, I hope to go a little further today. And um, I'm glad to see y'all here. Well, get making me nervous. Um, I, I came in a little bit late. I'm teaching a new members class at 9.15. Uh, we only had 14 people there this morning. And I thought that was good. Amen? I said that way is kind of a juxtaposition. That was really good, I thought. And uh, you don't have to be a new member to take that class. And I'll be offering it about every other month, I hope. Uh, that's my idea in my head right now. But sometimes what's up here is not re- reality out here sometimes. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive for that. So you'll have an opportunity. Even if you're a longtime member and you never took a new member's class, um, eventually it'll be worth your while, I promise. We're just starting. Um, I'm kind of rewriting it as I go. So uh, we're going to, uh, the people in there now are kind of guinea pigs. They I told them that this morning. I didn't call them that, but I told them that. And uh, so it'll, it'll be good. Um, man, I'm glad we're here and we can worship God here, aren't you? Amen. And, and you know, some of y'all not used to clapping in church. Maybe you grew up in church, didn't clap like I did. They didn't clap ever. And uh, it was hard to get them to say amen. And, uh, and then as I got older and church services started changing, people would clap sometimes, they wouldn't sometimes. So I had to, I had to settle that. And guess what? Don't tell anybody what I'm about to tell you. Okay, this is a secret. We don't want a lot of people to know. It's in the Bible. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And did you notice that verse? Did you know that in the Bible, clapping is a sign of victory, of conquest over the enemy? So that's why it says, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Because they would, they'd stick their foot on that dead person they'd conquered and they'd go, yeah, I'm the best. All right? And so we clap for God because he has con- conquered sin. And death, amen? So we're not clapping for performers, we're clapping for God, amen? He's awesome. And today, what do we call what, where we are right now? What do we call doing this? We call this going to church, don't we? If you're going to church, that means you're lost, because you ought to be carrying church around with you, because you are the church. Where you are is the church. You with me? And I don't think you really understand who the church is and who the head of the church is. Once you understand that, because guess what? I ain't him. All right, just going to tell you real quick. Anybody ever says that I'm the head of the church and leader of the church, I will shoot you. No, I won't, but I want to shoot you. Jesus is the head of the church. And we're going to look at that real closely today, if I can get there. And we're going to try to get there. Uh, He is the head of the church. The church. And brother, I don't know if you can do it, but if you can, skip over to the action steps at the end of the sermon. I'm going to go ahead and show them to you because this is what I want you to be thinking about while I'm preaching. Uh, start with number one. Sorry, it's three, it's three slides. Yeah, I, I put them on. Christ is the head of the church. Don't forget that. Number two, every believer needs to be connected to the head. Number three, every member must be responsive to the head. Number four, every member of the body will suffer with the head, and number five, every member will be glorified with the head. I want you to remember that. Go back to the big slide, because here's all the details of the sermon. Go ahead and put the, that slide up, brother, if you would. What God wants you to know. You already possess everything you need, okay? And going down two more slides, this is what we're going to start covering. You need to realize who he is. So I know who Jesus is. Well, I know you know the Sunday school's Jesus. I want you to know the real Jesus. Amen? Sometimes we have this idea of a Sunday school Jesus, you know. We come to church, we take him out, play with him for a little bit, put him back in his box, go home, forget about it. That's not who Jesus is. Listen, if your Christianity is not 24-7, 365, and 366 on leap years, then you don't have Christianity. You've got religion. And if you've got religion, you're lost. And on your way to hell. You need Jesus. And you need as a believer in Christ. To recognize and understand who he is. And I don't feel adequate. To explain that to you. Even though I'm going to try to do that today. Because I'm not adequate to explain that to you today. And so I've been asking people to pray. 
for me today that I would be able to explain in a way that we would get a glimpse of who he is. And so, I, and I hope that I, that I can do that. I'm sorry, about 10 illustrations ran through my head. I threw them all away just to keep going. I want you to understand who he is. I want to know who he is. And we will spend our life pursuing him and a good understanding of him. You say, oh man, all that sounds sad. Well, then you weren't here last week or you forgot what we said. Because look back with me in um, verse 18. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. First of all, wisdom being understanding in a way that you can apply it. Revelation being revealed, something you didn't know if it wasn't exposed to you. And I know this sounds awful, but it's like taking the lid off a trash can. You know there's something in there and you take the lid off, you can see what it is. And that's the word revelation, to take the lid off. In the knowledge of Christ, that you would know who he is, that the lid would be taken off. You could see him and that you would have wisdom to understand who he is. And so Paul's going to go on to give us three ways that we should know him, know God, know Christ. And I'm going to do that today. Let me just say, I got a lot of these ideas from two different men, Colin Smith being one and John MacArthur being the other. I'm just going to go ahead and make a blanket statement of that, because if you ever hear their sermon, read their book, and you go, you know, our pastor said something similar to that. It's because I'm not that smart. I stole it from him, okay? Just any preacher says he didn't steal it from somebody else is boring, cause, or a liar, because uh, I'm just telling you, none of us are that bright, and uh, we, we steal from each other. All right, would you pray with me, though, as we go into this word? In fact, before we pray, let's stand up and read God's word together. And I'm going to go ahead and start at 18. I mean, 17, even though I'm going to start preaching at 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Did you hear that? Let me just pause there for a second. The, unre- the unmeas- immeasurable, it is not, and it cannot be measured, greatness of his, y'all couldn't even say that with power, y'all said that real weak, let's say it again, power, power, amen, of his power toward who? Who believe, according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you. We come into the presence of a holy, righteous, thrice holy Father God. And in the name of Jesus, the only way we have access to come, we come with boldness to ask for grace. For you alone, Lord, can give us the grace, the power to understand, to see you. Lord, I do not have human wisdom. My tongue is, 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 is not adequate to explain the greatness of your power. God, to explain the greatness of your person, the greatness of who you are and what you know and what you can do. Lord, I just pray that we'd get a glimpse of your power. Lord, I pray that your spirit would descend in power on us today. That we might have boldness to proclaim the glorious reality of who Jesus is and the gospel for which he gave his life. The good news that though we were sinners, we can become saints through the blood of Christ. Help us, Lord, who have already discovered that, to be bold to tell others. Help us who don't understand it well to understand it better. Help us, Lord, to, to, who are afraid to speak, to speak out. And give us your mercy and your grace in doing so. Lord, we bind our enemy. We ask you to rebuke him in Jesus' name. Lord, we know that, that uh, there are minds possessed today. There are minds clouded by our enemy. There are hearts that are held tightly in his grips, and, and they, they are not open to your word. Lord, open them. Free us right now, Lord. Free those people in the name and authority of Jesus. 
we plead Jesus' blood and power into this place and ask that, Lord, the redeemed of the Lord will say so and that we would stand against our enemy. And, Lord, that as we open our hearts to you, that you would fill us with the knowledge of who you are and what you want in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you want to. If you don't want to, that's cool, too. Checking my time clock up there. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's the, what God wants you to know, okay? And that's where we are today. First of all, there are three areas. First of all, we have to see the plan God set in place. Look in verse 18. In verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, we see the plan God set in place. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The word hope, as you know, means a confident expectation. It's not a desperation. It is a confident realization of what is yours, but you just haven't gotten it yet. You with me? It's, in other words, it's like, you know, you asked for something for Christmas, and somebody said, I got that for you, but you can't have it till Christmas. You have hope that on Christmas Day, you're going to get it. You see, I have hope that when I cease to breathe and my heart quits beating and my soul exits this tent, this mortal tent, that I will be with Jesus. That is my hope. That's not a desperate hope. It's a confident hope. Not because I'm good, because I'm not. Not because I deserve it, because I don't. But because he promised it and he who promised is faithful. Amen? Amen. Well, good. We can go home. No. Um, no, we, listen, that is, that is the hope. And immaturity is, is caused by our emotions. You know, we think we got to feel it. I promise you, there are days I wake up, I don't feel saved. Amen? I mean, some days you get up, you just, you know, it's like, good Lord morning. Instead of good morning, Lord. We, we, just, we, we just don't feel like it. You know, some days I just, I mean, there's some of you I could slap and God say amen. You know what I mean? That's how you feel. No, I just was kidding about that. I heard another preacher say that. I thought it was funny, but uh, I hadn't met anybody like that here. All y'all been so sweet. Listen, some days, though, that's, you just feel mean. You just feel like, I don't know, or, 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 or you're desperate, you're depressed. Some days you just get up and you're depressed. You're like, I'm worthless, I'm no good. And, and, and you have those feelings. You say, have you ever felt that way? Yeah, I felt that way. How many of y'all never felt that way? Liars, y'all need to repent right now. No, nobody raised their hand. Everybody's scared, too. Listen. I've had both those emotions. I've, woke, I've awakened just feeling grumpy and mean. Ask my wife. My wife likes to say, never mind, I won't tell you that. <laughs> I was going to say, she like, she, some days she just says she wakes up grumpy, and other days she lets me sleep. But um, <laughs> I, Sunday, I just, I don't get up well like that. I mean, it takes a minute, you know, and, and that, I don't act like Jesus when I first wake up sometimes, and and then some days I just feel mean all day. That's not glorifying the Lord, is it? But you know what? I'm still saved. That's not an excuse. I mean, God, you know, convicts me. I have to repent, go back and apologize to a bunch of people. But I, I, I'm just telling you that if we go by our feelings, we'll never feel right because it's not, it's not about that. Notice what he says. God has a plan there. In verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your heart and light. Now, he, this word heart... They, they used different things in their days, but the Greeks thought the heart was this seat of, of understanding, this understanding of divine truth, and that it was you could apply it to life. Of course, they didn't fully understand, but Paul's using, just like we do, we, we know that we don't have Jesus living in this beating organ in us, that Christ is in our body. In fact, there's a book written, I recommend you reading it, called Quit Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. It's a great book, you ought to read it. It's about how we think if we just say a certain prayer that we're going to heaven. And it's more about following Christ than it is about saying a particular prayer. Okay, good. I just, just start you down that road. I hope you'll be curious enough to look that up, order it from Amazon or wherever, and get it and read it. But it is about that Christ is in us fully. And notice what happens when we're saved. Look there in verse 18. That we understand the hope that he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what do you think those riches are? I, I'm not asking to answer out loud. 
The glorious riches, number one, heaven's worth is in Christ himself. Right? I mean, some of y'all like Monday night football better than you like prayer meeting are going to be bored in heaven. Now, I, I get it. There's some boring prayer meetings, but that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Because it's never boring to be able to step into the presence of a creator God who stepped out on nothing and took a whole lot of nothing in his hands and spoke into existence everything you see, touch, taste, feel, and know. And then put on flesh and dwelt among us and died in our place on a cross that we could know him and call him Daddy, Abba, Daddy, Father. You get the opportunity to step into his presence and the authority and because of the shed blood of Christ on a cross and you find that boring, somebody has mistaught you and someone has misled you. The riches of his inheritance is we get Jesus. But because we got Jesus, we got everything in heaven. It's all ours. There's nothing that we lack. There's nothing that we don't have. We need to comprehend who we are in Jesus, that we are his workmanship. We are his children, and he loves us. Secondly, you need to see not only the plan that God put in place, that in the the death of Christ, we can have knowledge of God and be his children, but you need to see the power of God to implement the plan. In verses 19 and 20, we see all that. And I will tell you in verses 19 and 20, you will see the word, uh, a word that is very active four times, a word like power. We see, we see power. We see working. We see strength. We see might. These are different words. One where we get our word dynamite. Dynamo, that's the word there for power. Uh, there's another word for working. It's where we get our word energy. There's a word for strength. that means dominion or power. The word strength in those verses. There's another word that means the might or the having the power or ability. Notice there in verses 19 and 20. What is the measure of greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in his right hand. In heavenly places. God, uh, Paul does not tell us to pray for power. He says let's pray. he wants us to pray for the awareness of that power. Don't forget verse 17. What does verse 17 say? Look at it there. Remember? That you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Because if you have power, where did it come from? And how does Christ put the power in you? I heard somebody whisper it through the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, I'm going to get to this a little bit more today, so let me go ahead and warn you. I'm not talking about us as individuals. I'm talking about us as a church as well. We should have individual power, yes, but God has put us in a body, and we're going to get to that in, in short order. In fact, I'm, 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 I want to get to that more than I want to, to do what I'm doing right now. So I, I want you to understand that he warns us, to, uh, he pray, he's telling us to pray for an awareness of that power. You know how I know you got it? Because of Acts 1.8. How many of y'all can quote Acts 1.8? For you shall receive after that the has come upon you and you shall be my where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to uttermost parts of the world. Now, we've misinterpreted that verse many ways. One is we think we got to go in order. Think we got to go to Jerusalem. Well, what's your Jerusalem? Well, it's Stanton. Well, then we got to do Stanton first before we can go anywhere else. No, he means you're going to do it here, you're going to do it there, you're going to do it everywhere. You with me? Now, I, I understand the light that shines uh, afar shines brightest at home. It's, it should be a little more... In, Intense right around where you are. But it is not that we have to wait to go. It is that we should be going everywhere as we go. That we should be going right now, here and there. We ought to be covering the state. We ought to be covering the country. We ought to be covering the world while we cover Stanton. You with me? But in Acts 1.8, it does not say you may receive power. You might receive power. It says you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, a bunch of people laying around praying for Acts for another Pentecost. We need another Pentecost. Why? The first one didn't work? 
Holy Spirit go back home, say, I'm done with them, and now we've got to pray for them to come back? No. Don't be foolish in your understanding. You have the power. A bunch of kids that watch cartoons, I'm sure there's some cartoon characters, I've got the power! Friend, that's the truth. You already have the power. Now he wants you to pray that you would understand that. They would understand the power in your hands. It'd be like it'd be like someone who doesn't like to go fast driving a Ferrari. They're still not going to go fast, even though they got the power. Or it's like me. It doesn't matter what I'm driving. I got two speeds: wide open, stop. That's it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But it used to be that way, but not anymore. Too many policemen made their acquaintance with me, so I figured it out. We have resurrection power. It says in Romans 8 that the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in lives in you. That's Romans 8, 11, in case you need to look it up. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And if it doesn't live in you, you're not saved. So I, for, my, for my Pentecostal charismatic brethren, you do not need a second blessing. The first blessing was good enough. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. And if he did not, you are lost. The problem is you're living in sin and won't release yourself and control of yourself to him. That's the problem. It's not that you don't have enough of God. It's God doesn't have enough of you. And you've got to understand that if you want to be clear and biblical. Okay? Uh, you know, God honors sometimes their prayers just because they don't know what they're praying. Just like I don't know what I'm praying sometimes. But we, if we can, we need to get our theology right. And that's the right theology, okay? And I understand that. But the third thing you've got to see is the person of God, who he is. Here in Ephesians 1, beginning there, uh, we've read verse 19 and 20. Look at verse 21. Well, let's start back in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. And has put all things under his feet. And gave him his head over all things. Stop right there. I know it's got more there. But you need to understand the greatness of who Jesus is. Understand the greatness of his power. Listen, Timothy was a shy and, and, and scared pastor. I want you to turn with, if you would, just keep going toward the back. When you see uh, books that start with a T, you're in the right place. It's Thessalonians and then Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I just want you to see what Paul tells Timothy. When Timothy was all timid and scared and worried, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul said this, Remember Jesus Christ. That's what we need to remember. Too many times we make church, and I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just saying this generally. We make church about the music. Whether we like it or not, whether it's good or not, or sometimes we as pastors, whether we think we are doing a great job, and man, wasn't that good? We make the Easter play, the, the Roman road, we make it about the play and the acting. And you know what? Don't tell anybody this. This is another secret. Sometimes the preacher just wants to preach a good sermon. And we forget it's all about Jesus. Okay. For a minute I thought I was just all alone in here. Maybe, maybe that hits you somewhere. Sometimes we, we, we get that messed up. We forget we don't go to church. We are the church. And we are the church because Jesus lives in us. And that we are to glorify him in everything we say and everything we do. Because you, can't, or not, you should not forget. Not only did he have a plan. Not only did he have power. But he put that, plow, pow, that plan at work in your life. He put that power in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he did that so you would realize who he is. And you would know the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He's fully God. And he's fully man. And when we look on Jesus, all of our earthly problems, and we have them. We have psychological problems. We have physical problems. We have emotional problems. We have financial problems. We got spiritual problems. They start fading in the light of who Jesus is. Remember that old song? 
Look full in his, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Man, we need to see the problems for what they are, but realize we got the power to deal with them, to overcome them, to live through them. And it's too bad that we sometimes concentrate on peripheral things instead of on who Jesus is. I understand what you say when you tell me that was a good sermon or whatever. I'm glad that God used it in your life, and I understand that's what you're saying. I know that Pastor Mike likes it when you're enjoying the music. Man, I do enjoy the music. I'm just going to tell you. I love music, and I enjoy all of it. I listen to almost everything. I say almost because some things ain't my bag, but that's okay. We call that preference. That's not conviction. That's just preference. If you don't like the style of music, that's not conviction. There is no godly form of music. If music is used to glorify God, it's godly. If it is not used to glorify God, it's not godly. It doesn't matter the style. That's just music 101. That's Bible 101. Because if you're going to tell me that music's not right, number one, I'm going to ask you to show me in Scripture because I know you can't. And number two, I'll point you to when Jesus warned them not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they called the work of God the work of the devil. So be careful. Now, I say it about music because music's an emotional issue, and everybody gets all uptight about it. Don't get uptight about it. Listen to the words. If you can enjoy the music, enjoy it. Can't enjoy the music? Look at the words. <laughs> There's music I don't particularly enjoy. I'm glad we put words up there, so now I'm going, oh, yeah, that's good. Because it's about who Jesus is. And if we're singing about Jesus, it's okay. Jesus said, they either for me or against me. That's, that's he didn't say there was any middle ground there. Like, well, they're kind of for me. Well, they almost got it. You're either for him or against him. And that's in your life, too. You're either for him or against him. You're all the way or you're nothing. Amen? And so, anyway, whatever is in our life, we should use it to communicate the glory of God. So, when we set aside ourselves to gaze on Christ, how great is that? And I want you to notice one thing um, there in Ephesians. I turn my Bible. I, I forgot to read the rest of that. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that's the church, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. Paul tells Timothy, you think you got trouble? I got trouble, but remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. I kind of taught this to a, a new convert one time, many years ago, 23, 4 years ago now, 5 years ago. And he got a hold of that. And he was a brand new Christian. He went on a missions trip to Eastern Shore with us. And we were working with migrant families. We were doing a Bible school, a vacation Bible school during the day in a trailer park. Uh, on the eastern shore, and then at night we go into the migrant camps and do a Bible school there for those kids. And we did all this stuff, and so this, there was this church, and they didn't have the help they needed, and they needed the grass cut. So we're cutting the grass, and a rock came out from in the lawnmower because the yard wasn't kept well. I hit him in the leg. Man, he's bleeding. I said, dude, are you all right? He said, it's better than being crucified. We went to do the Bible school in the uh, trailer park, and there were no kids in the trailer park. Day four, there were tons of them. And I was like, I can't believe that. I got all upset. I can't believe there's no kids. What's going on? You know what he said? Man, God's going to do something big. He had learned the lesson, and I taught him better, and I remembered it. Oh, by the way, he's planting a church in Syracuse, New York, to people who are down and out. He put a big blog on his Facebook. I think I reposted it. If you follow my Facebook, you might have read it. His name's Ronnie Wyatt. And he talked about praising God and having the strip club across the street. Uh, what was that song? They were playing some bad thing. My wife's going, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> he said, and they just kept praising Jesus anyway. And about the, crack, the heroin addict prostitute lady in, the, in their service, she kept squirming. He thought maybe she needed a fix. He said, what's the matter? What do you need? She said, I need to get saved. Would you quit talking and hurry up so I can get saved? In fact, they were about to, he was about to be okayed as a home missionary, North American missionary to go. And he got a call from a guy, said, I'm the last guy you talk to before you become a missionary. 
And he said, okay. And he said, we were noticing, I was looking over your stuff, and I, I see that you have a daughter that's older than your marriage. He said, yeah, um, before I knew Christ, uh, I had a daughter. I never got married to her mother, but her mother was a drug addict and uh, became a drug addict. And so I took her and raised her. Oh, okay. And I know she'd been in prison. He said, yeah, I, I, I did some things I wasn't supposed to do, and I went to prison. He kept asking him questions like that. And he finally said, look, man, you're driving me crazy. You're making me nervous. You know, I know you're the last guy. You're either going to okay me or not. And I know you've already made up a decision even before you start talking. Just tell me. I can take it. I'll be disappointed. Just tell me. And the guy said, well, we're just thinking, we can't think anybody better to go to Syracuse, New York than you. Because <laughs> you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And they sent him to Syracuse. And he's doing a great work working with people who've been in prison, done drugs, got children. To the glory of Jesus. To the glory of Christ. That's who it's about. Amen? Amen. Maybe Ronnie will come by here one day. That would be awesome. You, you'd love him. He used to do comedy clubs and stuff. He's, he's a hilarious guy. Listen, I want you to check something out here. Notice what it says in the end of Ephesians 1. That Jesus is above all rule and authority. I want to tell you about that rule and authority before I go on. In, in the Jewish world, the, the, the word used to designate angels was authorities, powers, and dominions. And it says he's got a name above authorities, powers, and dominions. Now, we understand that, but do you really? Because what are demons in the demonic world, Satan's world? Fallen angels, powers, authorities, and dominions. He has conquered all. You don't have to be a slave to sin, Romans 6.6. 6. You don't have to be under the tyranny of our enemy. He has conquered it all because he is Jesus. And he is head over all things. And here's where it becomes unbelievable. Notice what it says in Ephesians 1, verse 22. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the Oh, that's not talking about Calvary, though, is it? Yeah, it is. Look at verse 23. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, we've got a wrong idea about the church. There are modern ideas about the church. Some people think of the church um, as a, a gas station. You know, oh, I'm low on power, so I can stop by the gas station to get some fuel. Or they think of it as a, as, as a theater. Where you go to be entertained. Good music, you know, preacher gets up, puts on a show, everybody likes it. Think of it as a drugstore. I'm sick, got to go somewhere or hospital, get, get what I need to, to fix me. Or, or uh, we think of it as the big box store. Anything you need, you can go in there and get it from God. All those, though there is some idea there that may be okay, are all unbiblical. And all have great problems in them. Because the Bible says, the church, it, four main things it talks about. We're a body, we're a building. Uh, we are a flock of sheep, and we are the bride of Christ. Now, I want to show you the difference, all right? If we are a body, the body needs a head, and that's where it's talking about here. We'll come back to that. If you're a building, the Bible says he's laid the foundation, he puts the bricks in place, he's the chief cornerstone, and he indwells that building. It's all about Jesus. If he is the bride, if we are the bride of Christ, we've got to have a groomsman. He's the husband of the bride. And we know the biblical roles of men and women. That means that he's responsible for us. And he leads us and he guides us and he teaches us. And if we're a flock, we've got to have a shepherd. The other ones that we think about, theaters and gas stations, hospital drugstores, big box stores. It's all about what I get out of it. Do you notice what we started thinking about church? Now, I know this may offend some of you church hoppers and shoppers. But the church isn't about what you like and what you want and how it meets your needs. The church is about coming under the headship of Jesus Christ and doing what he tells us to do. That's what we're about. That's what we are to be about. 
That's the biblical picture. It points to Jesus. And when he talks about the body, which he does here in Ephesians, he also called us a body in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there the idea is that we are many members, but we make up one body, that we need each other to function as a body. Very true. That's a biblical picture. We get that. Some people are this. Some people are that. But the other thing is that uh, in Ephesians it talks about the body, but it has a little different sense that my body without a head is lifeless, right? My body could do nothing without impulses from my head. And, and by the way, I keep doing this because I just felt it pull loose because the wire pulled a little bit. But do you understand the intricacies of what I just did? I felt something. The nerve sent a signal to my brain. The wires pull and your mic is coming loose a little bit. So my brain processed that and sent a signal back into my arm and said, touch that, pull it back straight. And a signal impulse through my arm and what muscles I do have responded. And my thumb and my finger came together to put just enough pressure to grab it and to pull it forward. You say, well, that's a simple thing. But think about the intricacies of what it took for that to happen. And the church is here to do a work for God. And if we're not getting the impulse from the head, we can't do anything. You with me? And that's the idea here in Corinthians that the body without the head is dead and it's worthless and it's pointless and you can't do anything. Being a part of the body, it is all for Christ. The other images that I mentioned are are a means to an end, but the church is a means to a means. The church exists so that people might come to know Christ and they might grow into maturity in Christ. Amen? And that's all the church is about. Everything else we've added on. Anything else we've added on. We are about bringing people into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is and then helping them to grow into his image. And that is what the church is and that is the impulse Jesus sends through the church. So a church not doing that is not connected correctly to the head. Thank you. I just wanted you to finish it. The body is a means to itself. It's about gathering the people of faith together. You see, in the Bible, here's the primary strategy for evangelism. Start new churches. Start new churches. Let me just say it again. Start new churches. That's what they did. They went everywhere starting churches. And they get some people say, they get them to guess, say, okay, y'all are a church. And then Paul would come back and he'd say, wow, here's some guys that have grown up in Christ and faith. And they're going to be your elders. And by the, word, by the way, the word elder, pastor, and, and uh, bishop are all the same office in the Bible. There's no difference in those three words in the Bible in the person it refers to. So the pastors here are the elders of this church. And God has put us as elders, according to Titus 1, to set in order everything that's not right and to ordain new elders at need. In other words, we're supposed to be raising up missionaries and preachers in this church. Amen? I want you to look at these five applications with me. Because that's where I wanted to really go today. So I want to get to there. First of all, Christ is the head of the church. And he's the head of the church, not because we decided to make him the head, but because the head decided to make us the body. When Jesus appeared in a body, how did he come? As a baby. Thank you. Somebody finally got it. Listen, my, my, my questions are complicated, but the answers are simple. Okay? As, in, as a baby. Now, if we had sent him here, here he comes to save the day. And he'd come in wearing a cape and his underwear on the outside. And he'd have flown in. and whew, Superman is here to save the day. He came as a baby, helpless. In need. And friend, we're helpless. Without him. We are his body. So therefore, if he is the head, and he is, the body should, first of all, every believer needs to be a part of that body. 
We need to be connected to the head. There, there's a movie called 127 Days. Haven't seen it. Want to, I mean, 127 Hours. I always get the title wrong. I want to see it. It's about a guy named Aaron. His last name won't come to me now. It's easy to. It's an easy name, but I've lost it. He, but you heard about him in the news many years ago. He was hiking in Utah. A rock fell on his arm. He was trapped there for 127 hours. After 127 hours, he realized that the arm is dead anyway. They can't save it. No way. Took out the only utensil he had, which was a dull knife, and he cut off his own arm and survived. And he's getting along pretty well with his left arm. He had to cut off his own right arm. And now he's a motivational speaker, going around talking about doing what it takes. Talking about being able to survive bad situations. But you know what? He'd love to have that right arm back. He'd love to have that right arm back. But if you're not connected to the body, you're about as good as that right arm. You're useless. So that's insulting. You put yourself in that position. I just had to, whatever, to point it out. If you're not connected to the body, you're useless to the body. You've got to be connected in order to know him and to grow in him and to obey him. In fact, you're a grotesque anomaly, John Stott calls you, if you're not connected to the body. I know that's unpleasant, what I just said, all of what I just said. And it's not because I want to be mean, I'm just telling you. Let, let's go to a biblical illustration. I get to play Peter. <laughs> and so I brought my claymore to the first practice, where they said, no, I didn't get cut off anybody's ear. So I was really sad. I didn't bring my claymore, and I did hope I get to throw a sword around, but that didn't work. Y'all remember that story in Luke? They came to arrest Jesus and Peter whips out a sword and he goes after the guy. We know Peter was left-handed because he cut off the guy's right ear. Because I think he was going for his head and he missed and caught him in the, the right ear. And for you to cut off my right ear, you'd have to be coming down with your left hand. So we figure Peter's left-handed. What's that got to do with sermon? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Except that he got the guy's ear. I think he's trying to cut him in half, but he got the guy's right ear. And the ear falls off in the dust. Now, guess what? That ear is now pointless and worthless, right? Because the ear needs the body to function, and the body needs the ear to cup in the sound and bring it into the ear canal. And what does Luke tell us Jesus did? Can you imagine seeing this? Jesus reaches down in the dirt, probably bound already, picks up a lifeless, limp piece of flesh, and reseals the ear to the body. The body, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals us and he is quietly constantly sealing you to the body of Christ and if you're not part of the body you don't get that privilege you follow me now that's a biblical example that actually happened I know that he didn't go on to talk about the body there because they were arresting him you see if Christ is in the church and if we're connected to the body then Every member must not only be connected, but we need to respond to the head. Because if we're not responding, there's something wrong. Here's another Bible example. That Remember, there's a man with a shriveled hand. Jesus walks up to him and goes, reach out your hand. That's cruel. The dude's hand's shriveled. He can't reach it out. But the head commanded him to reach out his hand. And what does the Bible say? And as he reached out his hand, he was made well. And we sit in church services, quote unquote, because this isn't service, this is, this is a celebration. What would you do when you leave is service. Just to play on words there, but I, I want you to get that point. And Jesus commands us to reach out, and we go, can't, hand shriveled. And my head says, reach out your hand. I, I like the way uh, Casting Crowns, I believe it was, put it. If we're his body, why aren't our hands reaching? Why aren't our feet going? Why aren't we serving the head? I'm a diabetic. One night, I, I had made a gross mistake. 
and I had taken too much insulin. Only time this, only time this happened this badly. Making a short story a little bit longer. I was laying in bed, sleeping beside my wife. She heard a funny noise, which she hears every night I sleep beside her because I snore like a chainsaw. Not as bad as I used to because I had surgery, but I still do occasionally. So she hit me, as she always does. She says, be quiet, you're snoring, roll over. And I gurgled again. And she woke up and looked, and I was curled up in a fetal position, making a funny noise. So she grabbed my monitor, took my sugar. It was at 14. Yeah, all the nurses and people understand that just did that. Your normal blood sugar is between 80 and 120. Let me tell you how my sister, who's a nurse, explained it later. Yeah, the next thing was going to happen, your heart was going to quit beating. You are going to die because you didn't have enough energy to, to, to survive. So she also was throwing sugar in my mouth, called 911. They got me to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. By the time I got to the hospital, I was fine. Funniest part is I woke up in the ambulance looking up at somebody who did not look like an EMT to me because she had long, you know, gray hair that's not gray because it's prematurely gray, but it's literally gray. It's not white. It's like gray, gray. So I'm looking up at this face of this, this pretty woman with long gray hair telling me, Mr. McCarter, you've had an insulin reaction. You're on your way to the hospital. And I figured it was a demon trying to fool me. <laughs> so I just said, no, I'm not. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> no, Mr. McCarter, you had an insulin reaction. No, I didn't. Did Jesus come in the flesh? I demand you tell me in the name of Jesus that he come in the flesh as he got. She said, your wife's in the front seat. I said, ask her her middle name. She told me. I said, okay. <laughs> and if you think I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm telling you, that's what I did. I actually did that. But here's my point. I did not have the energy to survive. It had not been for my wife, I would have died. And if, I, and if we don't, know that we're connected and respond to the head, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to respond. When he tells us, reach out our hand, we do not have the excuse to say, no, we can't. That's impossible. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. We don't have the facilities. We can't do this. We can't do that. The God who stepped out on nothing and grabbed a handful of nothing and created a world in a spoken word just commanded you to do something and you just looked at him and went, sorry, we can't, we don't have the power. What do you mean you have the power? I came to earth, I died on the cross, I put the Holy Spirit in you just so you could obey me and you're telling me you can't? Are you crazy? That's the height of foolishness. Because Jesus is the head, we got to be connected to the body and we got to be responsive to him. Period. And fourthly, if you do, you're going to suffer. In Philippians, there's a great verse. Oh, to know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. And then the next phrase says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I think that some of our brethren have forgotten what Paul said. I bear in my body the marks of the gospel. You know, scar is just a tattoo with a better story, right? And if you're a believer, this body will have scars. Our physical bodies will have scars if you follow Jesus Christ. If you do it, you'll have some spiritual scars nobody can see, but you'll have them. And when you stand before God, somebody has said, it's not Bible, but it may be close to the truth. God's going to just examine you, see, you got any scars from where you were in battle for the gospel? And if you don't have any, that you live the life of ease, going to church, taking your place in the pew... You listened, you gave your money, you showed up, but you never attempted to do anything for God? Come on. We're supposed to suffer with Him, and you will suffer if you obey God. I promise you. Timothy, Paul says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, the world will hate you, but when it does, remember they hated me before it hated you. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And friend, we're going to go to battle. And when we go to battle, we're going to get hit. We're going to get knocked around. We're going to get scarred. But you're just not going to kill you. Heal up and get back in the fight. And one day you'll stand before God and he makes all things new. And then that day it will have been worth it. Paul said these momentary light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed one day. Friend, let me just tell you, you will suffer. And if you at all do anything for God, the will of the Father, you will suffer. Remember old Dalton Thomas? 
He missed church the first Sunday. Did y'all know that? Jesus rose from the dead that first Sunday, and they told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he goes, no, you didn't. The dude's dead. I know it. Thomas was not a doubter. He was a pessimist. Because when Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem, they said, Lord, don't go. They're going to kill you there. Have you ever read what Thomas said in that passage? He said, well, let's go and die with him. He was down, Debbie Downer the whole time. You know who Debbie Downer is? Wah, wah, wah. Thomas, Jesus is alive. Nah, no way. I'm not even going to get my hopes up. If I don't touch the scars in his wrist, I'm not going to believe it. He made church the next Sunday, and guess what? Jesus showed up. It's always cool when Jesus shows up for church, isn't it? And he said, hey, Thomas, want to check it out? Look here where they stuck me in the side. He went, poof, Lord, I believe. He said, you believe because you saw, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Let me just tell you, there's a preacher who said this. There is a doubting world out there that's waiting to see the scars in the church. Will you suffer for Jesus to take the gospel to those who need it the most? Is it worth your mortal life to see someone gain eternal life? I think it is. I think it's the only thing worth dying for, really. I mean, I understand dying for your country. I'm not degrading that. I'm just telling you, for the average person, though, we ought to live our life as dead men for the gospel's sake. That's my point. And then lastly, just in case he thought we were going to leave all depressed, every member will be glorified. In 1 John, if you want to look there, that's a great verse for it. In 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And the reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him, beloved We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we'll see him as he is. We'll be glorified with Christ. Timothy talks about we look into a mirror darkly, but one day we're going to look face to face. And in that moment, we'll be like Jesus. We'll be glorified like Jesus. We'll be in a place where there's no more sorrow or tears or sickness and all that. Sometimes I have a little saying I say to myself because I live in a world, you know, where where some people have more than me, some people have less than me. And occasionally we get off on that part where people got more than me or have an easier time than me or we think so. They don't really, but we think they do. And they have possessions and it looks like their life is easy and or they live where their kids live and and, and we, we've never, I mean, we've never lived where, her, where our families lived and our kids are scattering to the nations as well. And, and, and that's just not something we get to enjoy. And so we kind of developed a phrase among us, that's what heaven's for. That's what heaven's for. Because in heaven we see Jesus and that's enough. But heaven's going to make it all okay. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. So friend... In the middle of being the church, don't forget, later we'll be glorified. But don't worry about that right now. Right now, battle on for Jesus.